I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Welcome to Thoughts from the Hairy Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, the mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 56 of Thoughts from the Hairy Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the great One Nation controversy of 2016. So boy, did I kick up a hornet's nest this week with an article that I published over on my website, michaelmaharry.com, and also was published over at the Tenth Amendment Center. And I've gotten more nasty comments, more hateful emails, and more general grief on this article than I've gotten on anything in a long time. And the basic premise of the article is that the United States are not one nation. Now, in my head, this isn't at all controversial, but boy, oh boy, out there in the world of the interwebs, this is an extremely—it invokes anger in people to say such a thing. So all of this got started during the Democratic National Convention and Hillary's speech, and early on in the speech, actually, and this this got me all riled up from the very beginning. And she was talking about the history, the revolution, and— and the importance of cooperation. And this is what she said. She said, When representatives from 13 unruly colonies met just down the road from here, some wanted to stick with the king, some wanted to stick it to the king and go their own way. The revolution hung in the balance. Then, somehow, they began listening to each other, compromising, finding common purpose. And by the time they left Philadelphia, they had begun to see themselves as one nation. That's the point that I started yelling at the television because the colonists never at that point saw themselves as one nation. In fact, America has never been one nation, at least not in a political sense. Now, there have been people along the way and people in the founding generation that wanted a national government. But that's not what we've got. And certainly at the time of the revolution, they weren't viewing themselves as one nation. They viewed themselves as 13 independent colonies once they declared independence, 13 independent states, sovereign states that were united together for a common purpose, but that's not one nation. And in the article, I'm going to link it over on the show notes page so you can actually go and read it. But in the article, I used the Black's Law Dictionary definition of a national government to kind of show how important this distinction is. And this is how it reads. A national government is a government of the people of a single state or nation, united as a community by what is termed the social compact, and possessing complete and perfect supremacy over persons and things so far as they can be made the lawful objects of civil government. 
A federal government is distinguished from a national government by its being this government of a community of independent and sovereign states united by compact. That's the type of government the United States has. It's a government of a community of independent and sovereign states that are united by a compact. Not one national government. Not one nation. Now, you might say, Mike, this is all semantics. You know, who cares? You're nitpicking. But this is an extremely important distinction. And all of these federal politicians in Washington, D.C., Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, all of them, want you to think of the United States as one nation because that gives them more power. Remember, a national government has complete and perfect supremacy over persons and things so far as they can be made the lawful objects of civil governments. That means the national government would have complete supremacy over the states. That's what they want. They want this centralized power. But that's not the system that the Constitution created. You can read the article, and again, I'm going to link to it, but read the article and it will give you a a much more in-depth understanding of this. But I'm just going to read this one small passage from Hamilton in Federalist 32 because it, it makes this point. It said, an entire consolidation of the states into one complete national sovereignty would imply an entire subordination of the parts, and whatever power might remain in them would be altogether dependent on the general will. But the plan of the convention aims only at a partial union or consolidation. The state governments would clearly retain all rights of sovereignty which they before had, and which were not, by the act, exclusively delegated to the United States. So you see, not a national government. And again, this is extremely important. And again, the folks in Washington, D.C. want this whole idea of a national government, one nation, so that they can rule over all of the states. At any rate, this created this huge firestorm. And the first thing that I learned is that people don't read articles because almost all of the comments that I got and some of the emails, the people clearly hadn't read the article. They were reacting either to the headline or to the very short blurb that I put on Facebook. Please, people, read the article. The second thing is I realized and learned very quickly that there are an awful lot of people that think the Pledge of Allegiance is some kind of gospel doctrine handed down from George Washington. And ladies and gentlemen, it is not. The Pledge of Allegiance was written more than 100 years after the ratification of the Constitution by an avowed socialist with the intention of indoctrinating kids and immigrants into this idea of a singular nation ruled by a sovereign central government. His name was Francis Bellamy, and he was driven by a devotion to socialism and a devotion to nationalism, and he combined these things together. This was the guy that championed the rights of working people and equal distribution of economic resources. That's much easier to do in a national system. You need to abolish this idea of states and and all of this independence in order to have a single socialist utopia. Furthermore, this idea of one nation indivisible that we find in the pledge, contradicts one of America's most fundamental political doctrines found in the Declaration of Independence, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, not indivisible forever. This idea also runs counter to the American political structure created by the Constitution, as I briefly explained. 
Now, the fact that so many people cite the Pledge of Allegiance as proof that I'm wrong about America not being one nation is testimony to the success of Bellamy's indoctrination. Look, this is not proof that I'm wrong. The pledge proves nothing. It has no relationship to the founding era or founding principles whatsoever. And I know we're attached to it because we've been saying it since we're in kindergarten. But it does not prove anything. It is not a foundational document of any sort. So why are Americans so uncomfortable with this subject? Why do they so desperately want to live in one nation ruled over by Washington, D.C.? Well, I think partly it's because we like the idea of unity, and that's not a bad thing. But we've confused polity with society. There's a huge difference between cooperating together and having a system of centralized government that dictates everything from Washington, D.C. National politics divides us. I think we'd be a lot better off if each state, region, city, neighborhood, yes, individual made decisions for themselves about how they want to run things. And if people in Georgia would quit worrying about how they're doing things in California and vice versa, I think we'd be a lot better off. Jefferson nailed it. He said, our country is too large to have all of its affairs directed by a single government. Public servants at such a distance and from under the eye of their constituents must, from the circumstances of distance, be unable to administer and overlook all of the details necessary for the good government of the citizens and will invite the public agents to corruption, plunder, and waste. Nobody cheers for monopoly when it comes to economics. But all of a sudden, everybody wants it in government. I call it governopoly. And we should wholeheartedly reject this. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Mary Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor, spread the word. And feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't done it already, head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast for free. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.